Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. Well, I'm happy to be part of this series. Oh, my salt fell out. (laughs) Don't let your salt fall out. Because if it falls out, the ushers will get upset because they have to pick it up, but they might assault me. Okay. You'll need that for the end of our time together. Uh, I love the uh, sanctuary or the auditorium here. I told the uh, first service that uh, this has a special meaning to my wife and I because we were the first wedding in this auditorium 43 years ago next week. And I was very calm on that day, you know. I uh, wasn't nervous at all, so why should I be nervous today? Actually, I conserved my energy with the first service, so now I can just give it all to you guys. Well, this series, uh, I actually, in studying for today, felt really um, touched by this section. I had just studied some of these verses with our active adults of meets on Thursday. So this is, this is a uh, just jam-packed section. It starts in the fifth chapter of Matthew and goes to the seventh chapter. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, in these chapters, what Jesus is doing is speaking to disciples or followers, those who... who had pretty much bought into Christianity. But he wanted to make sure that their influence was uh, not just for the moment, but continuous, long-term. And so he gave them many um, word pictures, things to, to remember these important verses by. Actually, in it, open your Bibles, by the way, if you haven't done so, to the fifth chapter. Uh, the 13th verse of chapter 5 says what is really in this section. This is after the Beatitudes, and as we go on to the next part, Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. Now, they understand that symbol. They should pick up on that right away. Salt does lots of things. But then he comes right back and says this, but if the salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? Well, the truth is, it can't be. Okay, it doesn't lose its saltiness. It would be gone. Salt would be gone if it lost its saltiness. Then it says, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men, which what they did with old salt was throw it on the the ground so it would give traction as people walked. And Actually, what Jesus is saying is he's warning, he's exhorting that there's some way you could possibly lose your saltiness, your effect on the the world. Uh, What was he thinking about? What was in his mind? Well, possibly this. In the 20th verse of chapter 5, there's another warning here. Jesus says this, for I tell you, that unless your righteousness 
surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus has done is he has set up a comparison. So we have the disciples, the followers, with those who were teachers of the law. Well, what did the teachers of the law, what did the Pharisees do that was so wrong? Because these were men who studied the word. They knew the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the laws. But here's what happened. Those who were teachers of the law and Pharisees, in setting out precedents for others to follow, would often say this. You must do as so-and-so instructs. Or this is what the scriptures say. Now, what is different in that than being the salt of the earth? The salt of the earth has it where? Inside, see? Those who would be just authorities or just those who would teach the law had it just externally. You got that? It's one thing to say something. It's another one to be something. Thank you very much. Very good. You see the difference there? What Jesus is saying is he wants you to be the salt of the earth. Not just talk about it. Not just know it. And folks, isn't that a great temptation sometimes? To be at all the Bible studies, to go through all the different classes, to know it all but not to live it. Well, let me give you four ways that we could possibly lose our saltiness. And by the way, we don't have much of an explanation out up there. I was chastised about that between uh, services. So I'm going to tell you what the answers are, and you can write them down, okay? <laughs> Perhaps Jesus was talking about... Uh, Rocks that had what would be like a salt content in them and that they kept um, around the meat and fish. Fish, get it? Fish. They would keep it around the fish and meat in order to keep it fresh. Um, so it would be edible if you didn't somehow preserve it or take care of it, it would spoil. Now, the salt around those fish would do its job initially. It would go right into the fish, keep it fresh, and do a great job. But after a while, that kind of salt would, would tire out, wouldn't do the job. So the fisherman would have to go in, or whomever it was would go in, Get rid of that salt, throw it away, and put new salt in there. Or, or eat the fish or meat. I'm going to call that kind of salt tired salt. Because sometimes that's how we are. We can live the Christian life, and we can be effective for a certain amount of time. But after certain pressures come up, after we have done it consistently for years and years... We don't want to mess with those routines. In fact, we get tired of being nice. See? And so we become tired salt. 
Or maybe he was talking about the salt that was harvested from the Dead Sea. Because there were, weren't really good refineries then, when the, the salt was harvested from the Dead Sea, it would have with it, mixed in it, a gypsum. And the gypsum would look just like salt. It would be the same color as salt, the same texture as salt, but it wasn't salty. That's right. You're good. This group right here, they're good. <laughs> it wasn't salty. In fact, that kind of salt was phony salt. See, it looked good, but it really didn't have salt in it. Now, there are those of us who are in that category. See, we know all the procedures. We know we get dooted up a little bit for Sunday. We go to church on Sunday. We go to all the classes. We can even speak the language of Christians. But deep down inside, when it really counts, is there that commitment? When things get tough, do we have that commitment? Or are we phony salt? Or maybe... Maybe Jesus was talking about those who cook with salt. In the oven of a baker, an Arab baker, there would be large salt blocks, and they would line that oven. So the salt, when things heated up, would go up like this. But after a while, because of that intense heat, the salt block would lose it's saltiness. Yeah. It wouldn't be worth anything except to be taken out and thrown away. I'm calling that kind of salt overheated salt. See, there are some of us, because we have tried to live the Christian life without completely depending on the Lord, where we become overheated. There are too many problems and difficulties and challenges and family things and financial problems and relationship problems and we just become overheated. We've had it until we're good for nothing except to be thrown out. So we have tired, phony, and overheated salt. But here's another kind of salt. When the salt would be harvested, because of the lack of salt, what would happen was those who were using it would mix the salt with other things, like vegetables all smashed up. And so as they would use that salt, it would be effective, but it would be kind of diluted and wouldn't be nearly as effective except or as if as effective and as if it were pure salt. Did I say that right? Anyway, if it were pure salt, it would be much more effective. Um, let me give you an example here. A couple of weeks ago, I wanted to make my famous turkey burgers. You take ground turkey, you put it in the bowl, you mix it up, you know, and you put a little salt in there. Well, the salt wasn't all that exciting, so I reached for this poultry seasoning, but I couldn't find any. So I found the McCormick's uh, steak seasoning, okay? Now, I wanted to make my turkey burger exciting. 
So I, I put a little bit in there. And I thought, oh, that's not enough. So I put a little bit more. Oh, come on. I put a little bit more. And finally, I, then I mixed the, the, the turkey, the ground turkey, and made my hamburger patties or turkey burger patties. And then I grilled them. And guess what you could taste? You couldn't taste the salt. No. You couldn't taste the turkey. No. All you could taste was this stuff. <laughs> and Pat was trying to be so kind. She said, oh, there's a little spice in there, isn't there? <laughs> the fact is that I messed it up. And see, that's, that's what happens. We can become tasteless salt. See? We really have no effect. We can be out in the crowd and nobody knows that we're Christians. There's no distinct flavor. There's nothing in there that would say, oh, he's different. He's a Christian. He might be, must be a follower of Christ. He must be a disciple of Christ. No, there's nothing there. We're tasteless. So what Jesus warns against is being tired or phony or overheated or tasteless. And that kind of salt really is not effective. So what can salt really do? Well, now I want you to get into this kind of a, a mode now. We're, we've got the negative. I want to get the positive. Because I want you to leave here thinking of the positives. So what can I do if I'm supposed to be the salt of the earth? Okay, here's number one, is I can add flavor to people's lives. So write that down, flavor. You got it? Okay, I know it's not up there, so just write it down. Flavor, okay. Well, just think about it. Do you really add flavor to anybody's life? How can you do that? I would say this, the first way we can show flavor or give flavor is to be loving. So write that down, loving. Uh, God's word says in uh, Matthew 19, 19, love your neighbor as yourself. Or Matthew 5, says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And love your enemies. Not just the people who are easy to love, but even the ones who have, you have conflict with. Reverse the, the attitude or the cycle and be loving toward them. Uh, John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Boy, that's love. I read... Uh, couple issues ago in the Leadership Journal, an interesting article about uh, a runner. His name was uh, Ivan or Ivan Fernandez Inea. And he was a long distance runner. He was in a race in, uh, in Spain. And he was running against several other runners. But he was back in the pack. A man by the name of Abel Mutal from Kenya was up in front, so far ahead that he was obviously going to win the race. And you know, in a cross-country race, it's a, a long distance. And so he could see the guy up there and thought he would never make it. 
until Mutal got up to the finish line. He's just about there, and he stopped. He, he thought that he was at the end of the race. He didn't realize he still had about 25 yards to go. So when Fernandes Anea came up to him, instead of passing him up, like all of us normally would do in a competitive situation, you know what he did? He turned him around, pointed in the right direction, and got him, that is, um, Mutal, to the finish line so he would win the race. See? Do, do you see what attitude that is? There is an attitude of showing love by preferring others to ourselves, of not worrying about the victory, of not worrying about the credit, see? But letting others, because we love them, be first. That's difficult for many of us. We haven't learned to live that way. But nevertheless, that's how we add flavor, by showing love to others. Um, in that book we've all learned to love, Leviticus. It says in Leviticus 19.4, or 19.34, the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall love him as yourself. That is the stranger, the one who is, is new to you. You should show just as much love to him. Uh, uh, show care and concern, you know, and humanness. I don't want to do that whole thing, but I can show you. <laughs> Be human, humorous, and hands-on. You know, you shake, you shake hands, you pat them on the back, you look them right in the eye, and you welcome them. You show love even toward the stranger. Let me tell you another thing I've learned recently about love. Love demands complete attention. Sometimes we just get so caught up in our, our cell phones and our high-tech world that we really kind of give attention in an unloving way. You know, better not to have said anything that the kind of start to show love towards somebody and then be caught up in your cell phone. See? Love. Very important way of flavoring someone's life. Let me give you another way of flavoring someone's life. Now, get this down. It won't be up there, okay? By maintaining the right values and priorities. Write that down. Maintaining right values and priorities. Okay, you got that down? Now, now look up here. <laughs> now, that, that's what it, this is what it means. It means that I look at all of life through God's word. That is, I use God's word to determine my values, my way of looking at things, my material for making decisions. All comes from God's word, not from the television set, not from philosophy books that are not of the Lord, but from God's word. That is, I will maintain the right attitude, the right approach, 
I'll make the right decisions if I base it all on God's word. See? Uh, God's word will provide, provide direction that will not be just short term so everybody's happy. <laughs> It'll be long term. This is where I should invest myself. See? It will show me what priorities I should have. The world, and it's hard to keep saying that about the world because we're sometimes in there too. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But the world basically looks at things from a whole different perspective than what we do in using God's word. In 2002, the former barber of Elvis Presley, for example, sold a clump of Elvis's hair for $115,000. See, somebody thought that was of great value. It gets worse. Justin Timberlake's half-eaten French toast sold for $3,000. It gets worse. A jar containing the exhaled breath of Brad, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie sold for $500. It gets worse. A piece of bubble gum chewed by Britney Spears sold for $160. It gets really worse. <laughs> In 2011, you've probably heard about this, a lock of Justin Bieber's hair sold for $40,668. A Kleenex <laughs> allegedly used by Scarlett Johansson Sold for $5,300. Do you see where the world invests itself? See? And if we are to flavor the world, we need to invest ourself, ourselves with what we learn in God's word. See? With what God has directed us to be the right priorities. The right information. Let me... Use that and now compare it to another one. Back at the beginning, the very beginning of World War II, actually 1937, a young pastor by the name of William Sangster, who was a Methodist pastor in London, startled his, uh, his congregation on his very first day by announcing that Britain was now in war with Germany. From that day on, throughout the war, Sangster used the basement of his church as a shelter from all the bombing that would take place every night in London. He used that place. He invested himself in the lives of those people because he actually loved the Lord. And every night he would minister to them. And he brought hundreds to Jesus Christ. During that time he also earned his PhD. He wrote 
many messages. By the end of the war, worn out, physically broken, he contracted a disease where Sangster could hardly even move his fingers. It was a muscular disease. But he had his values right because he had learned them from God's word, see. And when asked, here's what he said. William Sangster had four priorities. Number one is this, he said, I will never complain. Think about that. <laughs> Number two is, he said this, I will keep my home bright. Number three, he said, I will, I will count my blessings. Don't you love that? In the situation he was in, he was able to even remember his blessings. See? And then he counted them. And then finally he said, I will try to turn this illness to gain. See, he learned those values and those priorities because he learned, because he allowed himself to be in, in God's word. See? That's where he got it. He could flavor people's lives because of the right values and right priorities because, because he allowed himself to be so steeped in God's word. Okay, let me give you another way of flavoring people's lives. And I know you know this. But the third way is to have a rejoicing spirit. Write that down. Rejoicing spirit. God's word says to rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. We add flavor when we are joyful about what we're doing. Even when there are difficulties, roadblocks, problems that we face, to have a, a joyful spirit flavors people's lives. I've had the great privilege of working in two places in my working years, the last 44 years, uh, where there is a great deal of joy. I work up in this office right now where those people are all crazy. <laughs> but they just bubble with that joy every day, you know? And I just love to hear those little giggles and the jokes they tell and just... The whole attitude, you know why? Because they're, they're used to flavoring people's lives with rejoicing spirits. Yes, they still go through all the difficulties and problems and, and, and roadblocks that all of us go through, but they have Jesus so embedded into their lives that they can rejoice. Um, about a month ago, we had to fly to uh, Tennessee to see our daughter and grandchildren there and our son-in-law and as we went to the Oakland airport we're standing in line at Southwest I love Southwest we're standing in line there and I look at the counter and there are three workers there for Southwest two of them are usual down on the dumps you know taking your stuff and there was a third one with a smile on her face and honestly I said to myself I hope we get that one <laughs> and by cracky we did we walked up there. We're just about to get to the counter. This is the honest truth. 
she jumps up, steps on the scale, jumps over the counter, and hugs us both. Boy, that was a real Southwest welcome. Her name is Jackie Ricker, Babes Ricker. You know her? She goes to this church, or did when she was younger, and she showed such great rejoicing, such great love. That's how I want to be. See? Be a Jackie Ricker for the Lord. See? Um, John W. Peterson, who wrote so many great songs like uh, Heaven Came Down and Glory Filled. You remember that song? Yeah. Sorry, Jack. Uh, surely goodness and mercy, and it took a miracle. This young man, when he was younger, in about 16, 17 years old, was called the singing farm boy. I think he was from Kansas. Kansas. Got that, McGee family? Uh, and he, he sang all over. He had radio programs and so on, and he was well-known. And he thought his life would be singing. Until one day he took a job in a factory um, where the machinery was so loud and, and that it just got to his ears. So he decided to sing over the noise of the machinery. And so he would sing all day for all the summer as loud as he could. So he could outsing the noise of the machinery, and guess what he did? He ruined his voice. He broke down his vocal cords. But, but he was able to say, in a rejoicing way, I just love this, but if that had not happened, I might never have developed as a writer. See? With my voice damaged, I turned more and more to writing, and that talent was allowed to emerge and develop. What at first seemed a tragedy was used for good, and the course of my life began to take shape in a quite unexpected way. Isn't that the way to rejoice? Isn't that the way to live? See? Yes, we all have difficulties. Yes, we all have problems, but the Lord said, rejoice. How often? Always. That's right. So we add flavor by being a, having a rejoicing spirit. We add flavor by having the right values and priorities. And we add flavor by having a loving spirit. But, but salt does something else. Salt also preserves. Uh, I showed you the fish here. You know, they wrapped salt around fish and meat to keep it, keep it healthy so it wouldn't uh, make people sick. Well, you and I have the responsibility to wrap all of life uh, um, in our salty spirit. Uh, a, a commentator by the name of RGV Tasker said this, the disciples are to be a moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low, changing, or non-existent. Isn't that great? Now, let me read it again. I want you to catch this. The disciples are to be a moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low, changing, or non-existent. Folks, that's, 
That's us. See, we're to be a moral disinfectant. It doesn't mean that we're acting like, well, we're really good. See, look at us. It just means that we will maintain and be steadfast in our attitude, in our spirit, in our approach to keep God's word. We need to be preservers of truth. That means that when you're given the opportunity at work or in your family or someplace else in the, in the recreation that you choose, to, to make a compromise that you don't compromise. See? You are preserver of God's truth in his word. And I, I can tell you this that the world will constantly be working at you to, to compromise, to make little adjustments to the moral stand that you should take. It's there all the time. We'll probably all be faced with it even today. It's only through prayer, studying God's word, meeting with, with other disciples, other followers, other believers, sharing your faith, It's only through that that we'll be able to remain the kind of preservers of God's faith, God's word that he wants us to be. Uh, Salt that preserves. That's what we want to be. Salt that flavors, yes. But salt that stands firm on the principles of God's word, that is also very important. But let me give you the final thing. Ooh, it's only 12, 15. I'm doing great. The final thing that salt needs to do is to add that element in our lives that makes us thirst. Write it down. If you eat potato chips or popcorn or french fries, you've got salt on there, right? And after a while, it makes you thirsty. Uh, Does your life make anybody thirsty? Thirsty for the word? Thirsty for following Christ? See, so many times our lives actually end up doing the opposite. They push people away. Instead of making them want to be here. I just think of that presentation of Narnia. Uh how it acted as a means of developing thirst in so many people. I've even heard this this morning stories of people who came to Narnia who are now coming back to church. Isn't that great? And the lives of those people who who presented that with all their great talents, they were a, a means of providing thirst for all of us, of wanting us to be part of that. I think of that girl who played the witch, the white witch thing. She was tremendous. And, and all of them. And I, I, I'm not, I can't do any of that kind of stuff. It just makes me thirst for what she has. See, that's how we should live. Make people thirst for, for what they have, what they could be. See, now I have a special guest. Paul, where are you? Hello. Paul Kine. Oh, here he is. He's going to tell us about someone that helped him to thirst 
for Christ. Um, Butch asked me to just share someone special who's made me thirst for Christ. And honestly, there's probably about 100 people I could think of. But specifically one person, um, when I was in high school, I kind of was a very different person. I was very angry. I consider myself an atheist. But I used to go to this youth group all the time, uh, just right down the street from here, mostly just to hang out with people. And, uh, you know, it was very, it was very a relaxed environment, that sort of thing. I, I, I often would just like kind of, I gave the leaders a very hard time. I remember one leader specifically who... <clears throat> out of everybody else would just constantly, you know, I think I constantly irritated him. I think kind of sharing this first service, I think I, I purposely sometimes irritated him and he would used to kick me out of the, the study time a lot and I would wait in my friend's car or whatever. Um, when I, when I turned about 17, I got in a pretty big fight at this youth group and the pastor called us in and, and said, Hey, I'm going to ask you to take a break, uh, not, not come back, um, for a while. Cause I just been causing too many problems. And, um, so I didn't. I didn't go back, and a couple of years later, I was 19, and um, the guy, Don, Don Davis, uh, he, the one who I think I had the hardest time with, or he had the hardest time with me, actually, um, called me on the phone, and, and he said, hey, I, um, and I was wondering why he wanted to call me, and he just called and said, hey, I was wondering if you wanted to come back and uh, just visit the group for a night, and, and I thought it was weird because I was 19 years old, and he was wanting me to invite me to the high school group, but I was like, sure. And immediately when I went that night, I kind of had a different perspective because here I did not deserve to be there and I had no reason for it. He had no reason to call me, but yet he did. And so I went back that night and afterwards he kind of pulled me aside. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm hoping to start some, some sort of a college group and I'd love for you to be a part of that. And and so I said, sure. So um, just because of the kindness that he, he showed me, um, kind of the perspective of thinking that this guy disliked me a lot and knowing that he called me back. So I, I started, I went back the next week and, uh, to this college study and it was just me and him. And, um, <laughs> he, <laughs> we just began to go through acts and the way we set it up was he, he's like, Hey, this week, let's, you know, we just talked for a long time. He asked me how life was going. And, um, he just set it up in a way that said like this week we'll read chapter one. And then we'll come back the next Wednesday and we'll talk about it. And then the next week we'll read chapters one and two. And we'll come back and talk about it. And um, the next week we'll read chapter one, two, and three. And we'll come back and talk about it. And um, it was in this season of my life that um, I gave my heart to the Lord. And it was um, in this season that, that, like Butch was talking about this morning, um, I really began to have a thirst um, for God and for uh, what he was doing in the world and for his word. And it was a lot thanks. It was, uh, I was thankful mostly because of how Don had brought me into this, and he exemplified that um, lo- God going after the one lost sheep. And, um, and so when I began, when I kind of transitioned to neighborhood, and I started working with junior high, and then eventually high school, um, I immediately, uh, because of Don's influence, and because of his, his going after the lost sheep perspective, I attached myself to kind of the harder, rough kids, rough around the edges, uh, the kids that didn't really have parental influence at home and, so, and those sort of things, and, and um, began to have a love for them, the, the rough kids. And it was, it was really thanks to Don. And actually, just, just to kind of recap, the <laughs> um, full circle, this morning Don was in first service, and after first service, gave him a big hug, and he said, will you come pray with me? And I just had the opportunity to pray for his beautiful four-year-old granddaughter who's just going through some major health issues. And it's just, just what a perfect Sunday to be able to, to just, thanks to him and the, the thirst that he began through the Spirit of God to build in me, um, 
just to kind of see this perspective 11 years later, and here I am praying for his granddaughter and his uh, his family, and um, yeah, I don't know, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> Stay here, Paul. Right here. Do you realize that, see, that's when Paul gave his life to the Lord, because someone made him thirsty for the right things, see, the things of God's word and for Christ. Thank you, Paul. See, it takes, it takes a little work to make someone thirsty. It takes a little intentional action. See, it takes love and care. But that's what salt does. See, that's, that's what the Lord wants us to be. Okay, find that little packet of salt in your bulletin there. You got that? Okay. I just want you to hold it for a minute. Don't rip it open or anything. Just hold it. Okay, with that salt in your fingertips, let's bow together, okay? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Salt in your fingertips. Be thinking about it right now. And just in your mind, just kind of say, am I the salt that the Lord wants me to be? Am I a salt that flavors people's lives, that preserves the right values, the right priorities? Am I salt that makes other people thirsty for Christ? Would you just ask the Lord right now in the quietness of this service to make you the kind of salt you need to be? That you can flavor someone's life with Christ. You be his vehicle, his tool. Father, thank you for each one praying that prayer right now because we as your followers, as your disciples can end up doing damage to others if we're not salt for you. And Lord, we want to be salt. We want to flavor, preserve, and give a thirst. We want to honor you by loving other people. Oh, Lord. Even now, we just dedicate ourselves to that end. And Lord, we know that if we just have good intentions, that that won't be enough. We have to develop the right habits. Because good intentions never win over bad habits, Lord. We know that. So even today, we want to commit ourselves to the right habits, the right attitude. A deep down commitment to Jesus Christ. And right now, there might be someone here who has never made a decision for for Christ, has never, as Paul did, humbled himself before the Lord and given his heart to to the Lord. If If you want to do that today, let me encourage you to go to the prayer room afterwards and pray with one of our counselors back there. But right now, just slip up your hand. Is there anyone like that who would give their heart to the Lord this morning? Father, thank you for this time. We have sensed your presence right here today through your word and through all that has been accomplished. Lord, you're right here. We thank you for that. We thank you that, that you put these words, you, these exhortations in your word so that we would be the salt of the earth, Lord, and we want to be that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages, or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, 
please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.